That's how pain patterns get passed on. Generation after generation, break the chain today. Meet anger with sympathy, contempt with compassion, and cruelty with kindness. Greet grimaces with smiles. Forgive and forget about finding fault. Love is the weapon of the future. So far, we've covered these categories in these eight sessions so far. We began with expanding our understanding. We used to have the, this textbook definition of what forgiveness is. And then we began looking at uh, different people around the world and how they have described or explained what forgiveness is. It's well, worth going back and just revisiting all those definitions that were shared at that time. We're going to share a couple of them today. Then we talked about the source. Who is the source of all forgiveness? It is clearly Jesus. But if we keep it as so simple as it's just Jesus, as if that's so simple we can just quickly move on, there's a problem. This Jesus we say we believe in is far greater and impacts us far better than we possibly realize. And so we took a whole message in digging into the, who the source really is and, how, and why it's so wonderful. Then we talked about the case for forgiveness, that there's a, a biblical case that Christ has done something at the cross for all of humanity, that we are already forgiven. And all the proof texts are in that message. You can go back and listen to that one later. Why we need to forgive is a great, we, that was a great message. I love that. And then this one, what forgiveness is not, A, B, and C, three messages, 14 things that forgiveness is not. And I believe those 14 things are the greatest hindrances to giving people freedom to actually forgive. It's dispelling the myths. And we're going to cover one or two of them today. But that, that alone, I think that was probably the best part of it. Not to say the rest isn't going to be awesome, but I'm just saying that was honestly the most impacting part for me. And today I want to talk about what forgiveness is. So if what forgiveness is not was important, now we're going to cover what forgiveness is. Many of you know the story of Corey Ten Boom, where her and her sister were taken into uh, concentration camps because they hid Jews. Her sister died in those camps. Here's something she wrote. Since the end of the war, I have had a home for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalid. This is a topic that affects all of us. We all have people we do not want to forgive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You know, and there are people we have forgiven and yet there's still a struggle. And that's kind of what this series is about. How do we mend these relationships? The whole series is not about God's forgiveness of us, although we addressed that early, but this is about our relational living day to day. This is where the rubber hits the road in our multiple relationships we have. Forgiving will put you on the path to freedom. If you don't forgive, it will cripple you. When you don't forgive, you begin to destroy everything that you hold dear, your spouse, your children, your work, etc. Harboring unforgiveness affects your entire life. It becomes a toxic poison inside. It's like um, not forgiving. is like um, drinking poison and hoping the other person dies from it. <laughs> That's what it's like. If you cling to unforgiveness, then you cannot love your spouse, children, family as Christ designed you to. 
Every one of us has been created with divine love. We are in union with divine love. Every one of us has the capacity to forgive and love. Some of you may say, no, I don't. Say, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You can go down that road if you want to. But if, once we understand who we are in Christ, how God created us and humanity, that he actually made us good, and he's placed his life in us, we're in union, suddenly his DNA becomes ours. And when we wake up to the truth of we are part of God's divine love, when we wake up to that, then it becomes possible to express that divine love. Matthew 18, 21. <laughs> Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Trying to be generous. He, he was. You know, one or two, but seven. He thought, I'm just going to go for a bigger number. To him, seven was a big number. Well, Jesus had something else to say. He said, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Forgive, because it's easier than math. Math is hard. Great, not only do I have to forgive my brother, now I have to do math. (laughs) It's it's real, because we think there's a limit to forgiveness. But remember this. When you do not understand what forgiveness is, then that could be a problem. If you remember back to what forgiveness is not, it does not mean we must automatically go back into a relationship with an abusive person or a person who's toxic. It doesn't mean that. The short answer, just, just so you know, forgiveness is really a, 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 an initial act between you and your Heavenly Father. Declaring forgiveness, I forgive this person. What it looks like here is very different. So there's a moment where it becomes a, well, actually I'm going to talk about that in a minute, the event in the process. When you and I fail to forgive, it freezes the past pain into an ever-present reality in our lives. It's instant replay. The movie keeps playing over and over and over again. The clip keeps playing when we choose not to forgive. Now, when we forgive, does it mean the images may be gone instantly? No. They just become less and less, or the association of bitterness becomes softened. It's like when Joseph uh, came to his brothers after his father died in the Old Testament, and he said, you guys, you know, they were afraid of their brother Joseph, who'd become a ruler of Egypt. And he said, you guys meant all that you did for evil, but God meant it for pain. He even named his firstborn son, I forget what the name is, um, but it's a Hebrew name that means the bitterness has left me. The literal meaning of his first son's name, the bitterness has left me. The memories don't necessarily go away, but the bitterness associated with, and it makes for a life of greater peace. And honestly, we've talked about this before, when we choose to not forgive, it will affect us psychologically and even physically, manifesting sicknesses that we did not know could be possible, usually stress-related items. It's, it's a serious issue. Back to some definitions. If you've uh, ever watched Hallelujah in Hell, how many have seen Hallelujah in Hell clip on YouTube? If you haven't, you need to. The Morning Coffee Group has. Right, Elizabeth? Okay. Yeah, you're making me remember. Sorry. <laughs> Look up Hallelujah in Hell. Um, it's a great 20-minute clip, challenging, current, rotisserie channel-style hell versus a a more biblical picture. 
So Peter wrote this definition of forgiveness, and I really, really like it. I'm going to show you three today. I think forgiveness is literally life in the kingdom. It's constantly losing your life and finding it. It's bleeding. The life is in the blood. We are truly one body. When a body part refuses to bleed, give life, so it can receive more life, it's dead. Even if it looks alive for a few minutes. When only one person forgives, it looks like a man nailed to a cross. When two forgive, it looks like a good marriage. When all forgive, it looks like a happy dancing body, a great banquet, or the kingdom of God. In that place, forgiveness no longer hurts, but is in fact ecstasy. We are deathly afraid that if we forgive, um, something unfair is going to happen. And when we think something unfair is going to happen, it's evidence of us trying to control. We want to control the outcomes because we don't want to get hurt again. But that's not what forgiveness is. It's more than that. Brad Jerzak, many of you know who Brad is. Uh, he, write, he writes this. I usually say forgiveness is not saying it's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all going to be okay like Sesame Street. You know. Instead, forgiveness is taking your offender to the cross of Christ, leaving them, releasing them with him in his care or to his judgment. It's you releasing your right to punish, act out revenge or vengeance on that person. It's releasing that freedom. Like, Jesus, you take care of it because there's something going on in that person's life I can't possibly know. I don't know why they hurt me so much. Most, well, we started off with the message today, hurt people hurt people. That is a fact. Paul Young, love this. We've got two more definitions. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. It is about letting go of the other person's throat. <laughs> I love that. Forgiveness does not create a relationship unless people speak the truth about what they have done and change their mind and behavior. A relationship of trust is not possible. When you forgive someone, you certainly release them from judgment, but without true change, no real relationship can be established. Forgiveness in no way requires that you trust the one you forgive, but should they finally confess and repent, you will discover a miracle in your own heart that allows you to reach out and begin to build between you a bridge of reconciliation. By the way, that's not for you to determine. If you're afraid of that, oh, I don't want to have a relationship with them again. How about you just surrender that? Don't think about that. That, that is not the point of forgiveness. If, if God does a miracle where restoration and reconciliation happens, that's God's miracle to do. You can't control that. There's a common theme here. Control? Yeah. Forgiveness does not excuse anything. You may have to declare your forgiveness a hundred times the first day and the second day. But the third day will be less, and each day after, until one day you will realize that you have forgiven completely, and then one day you will pray for his wholeness. That's what the event and the process is summed up. I just realized that because I had read the whole quote until just now. It's like, what? That is what today is going to be about. That is the process of it. It's a one-time event when we forgive somebody, but we may have to repeat it over and over. Oh, God, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. Please change my heart to feel like what my words are saying. <laughs> Martin Trench. It's probably my favorite definition. 
Forgiveness is untying yourself from things which were painful at the time, but are now over. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In the Aramaic says, untie the knots that bind us as we let go of the bonds that we are holding others with. To me, that defines forgiveness. And if you don't do it, God's not going to do it for you. Do you remember that verse after the, in the Lord's Prayer? It says, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you yours. In the Aramaic, it's translated, it would, it would mean, if you don't unfetter those chains that you're holding against others, God's not doing it for you. It's an act you have to do. It's for our own good. I want to read you another quote about forgiveness that uh, came from Debbie Rollins. I think that an aspect of forgiveness is to reject what someone else's words or actions say about you. In the sense that the words or actions communicate something that is contrary to what God says about you. There's a lot of hurt being spewed by people. I grew up with a lot of those messages given to me. I'm no good. I'll never add up to nothing. Or anything, I'll, uh, I am a nothing. These are the words screamed at me by even my brother. And now I can say these words do not define truth. My Jesus tells me the truth, and I need to believe him, not the words or actions of people that, uh, that act against me. I, I thought it was a pretty beautiful picture of this. So what's our motivation for forgiveness? Why forgive? Because we've been forgiven for every single thing we have done and are going to do. You have already been forgiven. You are forgiven. What greater motivation do we need? All we need to do is stop and think for just a moment. I'm clean. I'm forgiven. In fact, this was my greatest revelation when I discovered my journey in my journey of grace. It was probably the, the biggest launch pad, the trampoline into woo freedom. And it, it was, I am forgiven. I thought I had to keep begging and asking God to forgive me. And it was up, up to me to stay forgiven. And I believed that if I asked for forgiveness, then God would come close. But when I acted badly, God was distant and far because God can't handle sin. We've read that, right? We've heard that taught. Like, oh, oh, God's so holy. He can't handle sin. Why did Jesus become sin then? In the Old Testament, when you read that text that says, you know, God can't stand sin, then a sentence or two later, he, it says, then why do you? If you're too holy to be near sin, then why do you? God's not appalled by this. He's bigger than all that. And he's absorbed the world's sin into himself. Then he died and rose and gave us new life. That's the gospel. And it's for everyone. Why do we forgive? Because we have had mercy poured on us and we have been forgiven. So when I pray now, I don't pray, dear God, please forgive me, which would be a prayer of a lack, a thing that I do not have. Instead, I now pray, Father, thank you that you have forgiven me for that. I affirm that. And what I did was inconsistent with my nature and my identity. Thank you that I am clean, that I am forgiven, and may I walk out this holiness that's in me so it becomes visible in all I do. That's a prayer of faith. A prayer of truth. 
to affirm and acknowledge you are clean. Because if you think for a minute there's some dirt on you that God hasn't cleaned up, you'll be walking like this on eggshells all around God and people hoping you're acting right, and it's all looking at self, self-absorbed, self. That's not what we're called to. We're called to live a life with our eyes fixed on our beautiful Lord, keeping our mind fixed on the things of heaven, not in the things of earth. It all happens here. What do we focus on? What is our method? Well, I can do this because he has made me a new person. Because you are a new creation, you now have the ability to forgive. Every one of us. Even if you don't want to, hey, you know what? Just set that I don't want to aside. Just set it right over there. You can still see it. Okay, there. But you can. The want is in your peripheral, don't want to is in your peripheral, but you can because of who you really are. And the more you focus on discovering who you really are, this one will begin to fade. But I don't want it to fade right now. Don't try to control the fading. You focus on who you are and the love of Christ towards you. Let God do the changing. And it may take years. That's okay. There's no rush. Ephesians 4, the Passion Translation. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. You've been made a new creation. You have been made brand new and it is a fact, not a hope. It's past tense. A little later it says, but instead, be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. You may have to scream to God, say, God, I can't forgive. I have to yield to you. But the I that says I can't is not the real me. So help me discover who I really am so I can live the life you've designed me to live, so I can forgive as you've designed me to forgive, so I can be light instead of darkness. My question to you is, what do you want? Do you want to be a light giver or a darkness stalker? Do you want to be a Linus cloud with that, is it Linus that has that pig pen? Pig pen's got this constant cloud of dust behind him. Wherever he goes, he's just, you know, wherever he goes, dirty, 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 dirty. You know, there are people like that. Imagine if those people could just stop and surrender and discover they were clean. Huh. Perspective matters. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18, it says this. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. You can stop there for vanished. And the word there means this would include our old identity, our life of sin, the power of Satan, the religious works of trying to please God, which is what the whole religious system does. You do know that religion comes from the Latin religare, which means to bind up. They meant it that we're bound up in common beliefs. But any person here knows that if you have a broken arm, um, Ellen, if, if, if in the hospital if somebody has a broken arm, it's only on for how many weeks, let's say? Six? About that. What if it's a year? What happens? Something really bad happens. It's not meant to stay bound up. You are not bound up into rules. 
the system of religion. We're unlearning those rules here all the time and discovering how to walk in grace. But that's what this is. You're, you're free from all that. You, it's vanished. We are not reformed or simply refurbished. We are made completely new by our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And all this happened at the cross. Behold, everything is fresh and new. I like fresh and new, especially in the spring. Get rid of this winter stuff. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Is this past tense, hopeful tense, or what? Reconciled. Past tense. It is done. You have been reconciled. Whether you believe it or not, it is a done deal. And if it's a done deal, then you can believe it. If you don't believe it, you don't get to experience it at all. He has made the relationship that was um, created through Adam and Eve and the relationship that believed God was angry and remember they covered themselves up with, with uh, you know, leaves because they were naked and God said, who told you you were naked? Yeah, they didn't know, but there was a shame that hit them. It was, it was, they, they thought they were, they were putting off G, or God, whoever was in the garden at the time. They really saw themselves that way. It was a mindset. They died in their minds. And Jesus came to take away that mindset that would forever have plagued them. And he created a new creation in Christ. Adam has died. The race of Adam and the race of Christ has been created. And we are that race. We have been created in that. It's beautiful. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. (laughs) This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. You have died, whether you know it or not, and you have a new life. And I'm going to promise you something. This new life in Christ does not look religious. It does not look churchy. I'm serious doesn't mean you have to have a hymn book stuffed down your throat as you walk down the street. Like, you know, uh, do you know what I mean? There's, there's religious people who just have to make everything about making sure you know they're a person of faith. And they're so weird. Like, I, I, I can't, I, I, I'm sick of that stuff now because I believe it's fake. I believe they believe that is their actions to be right with God. But I am right with God right now. And I can walk in it and have a great day. I can parent my kids well, love my family, provide for my family, be kind to people out there just like Jesus would. That's the spiritual life. Wherever we go, it doesn't have to look like it here in this place. The church was meant to be people. The church is not a building. The church is people connecting of common values and beliefs, growing and encouraging each other and having an impact in their communities. It's not the system. 
The system is dying. But I have hope for those who are in the system. Because God loves them too. My hope is to bring them good news. That's why we're doing the radio show. <laughs> to bring light, greater light, into the message of churchianity. And speak greater things. The truth is, Christ is my life. He's not in your life. Some people say, I invited Christ into my life. Oh, really? And how did you really do that? You mean he wasn't there before? Or did your magic incantation invoke Christ into you? I'll say this. The prayer has value because it acknowledges an event in your mind, in your experience. But the fact is, as you awaken to who Christ is, you'll go, he was there the whole time. I mean, I love the song from Ryan Stevenson, the gospel. There's one line in there. It says, the gospel is not that we've accepted Jesus into our lives, but that he has already received us into his. Wow. His righteousness is my righteousness. You don't have to ask for righteousness. You don't have to try to become more righteous. You already are. His life is my life. His love is my love, therefore I am a lover. Jesus is a forgiver, therefore I am a forgiver. Even though I don't want to, and I, you know. We have people like that around us. We don't want to forgive them, because it's just easier to be mad. It feels good for a short time, but that poison begins to move inward and skews our lens creates things to be unclear. We can't quite see through anymore how to love others. It affects us. The lie many believe is this, I cannot forgive. This is not true and it will put you into bondage. If you keep saying, I cannot forgive, you are speaking something into existence that shouldn't be spoken into existence. Change your words and say, I can forgive, Lord, help my unbelief. I can forgive. Lord, help my unbelief. But stop saying I can't forgive. Because you're lying about yourself. And you're declaring you do not understand your union with Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me because he has made me brand new. If you don't even know you're brand new, begin there. There's no rush. Start to discover who you are in Christ. Forgiveness is an event and a process. The act of forgiving is the event. That can be a one-time event. Walking in forgiveness is a process. It may take a long time to take you through it, though. You remember a couple of weeks back, I shared a graveside story with my mom. I, this one just it still rattles me in a good way. But uh, I ended up going to her graveside and... I felt God was saying, you know, go over and, and talk to your mom. That's weird. I don't talk to my mom at a graveside. Who does that, you know? You know, some other faiths may do that, but I don't. So finally I went over and, and had a little chat with mom. I said, Mom, how you doing? <laughs> weird. And then the Holy Spirit gave me an image. He showed me that if my mom could peek through heaven to earth and just do a quick peek through, if she could say one thing to me, what do you think she would say? And I saw 
Because now she sees clearly. As soon as you cross over, the veil's lifted. You see spiritual things more clearly than anything. And if her eyes are opened on the other side, she's going, you know, I, I believe she would have said, I am so, so sorry. I just didn't know. And I began to see how she treated me and our family was from her own pain and all the contributing factors that affected her. Having a bomb drop in the house they were hiding in Germany as, the, as they were being bombed and it did not explode. They quickly ran out, jumped over to the top of dead bodies. Like there's all kinds of PTSD that they've been dealing with. They just didn't have a name for it back then. And people live out of that. And I was able to forgive and release my mom a second time. I'd forgiven her years before. But I noticed from when she died four years ago, the bitterness was rising in me. As I began to talk about it, I was unkind, very unkind. Because that's how I felt. I was being authentic to myself and what I believed. But Jesus changed my belief. He changed my thinking and gave me a new perspective. I can now see her and think of her not as uh, from a lens of bitterness, but the process took years. Part of the process was the rising bitterness for me to see how stupid that is. And guess who was the one who was the process? That was God's thing. He's the one who allowed the redirection for me to go over there, and he chose that event. And I released her. I said, Mom, and I wept. Oh, I cried. So I released you, Mom. I'm so sorry for how I spoke about you. It was weird. Who does that? But peace came. And I've never experienced that from my mom before. From here forward, I get to be a little more kind. <laughs> I will not forget all the crap, all the things she's done and how she treated us. I don't need to remember them, but they're not going to be identified with bitterness any longer. I don't have to let it brew Oh yeah, I don't have to have that feeling anymore. It can be, wow, the compassion of Christ. May we have that same mindset for others who treat us terribly. There's something going on that they can't see. The event, it's an event because it's a command of God. If it's a command, it's something we can do. It's an act of our will, therefore it, it must be an event. It's a choice, even with clenched teeth. So the event... We've been commanded to forgive one another, right? By the way, it's not a law. Some people say it's a law of God that we must forgive. A law is associated with punishment. And we are not under the law of the old covenant. We are under the law of the life of Christ now. And if he's commanding something, those commands, like in today's world, the word command or obey is usually a bad thing, you know, because we like to rebel and be in control. But the more we see who Jesus is, and he actually loves us, and all that he's directed us to do is for our own good, the command to forgive is for our benefit. It's a good thing. And if he's calling us to forgive, it's actually something we can do. You have the capacity. The process, this is between the offended and the offender. Forgiveness will put you on the pathway to freedom, but it becomes a process of working it out in your life. God can make you forget, heal you, and make it go away, but that's the exception, not the rule of thumb. Remember that lie, the misconception of forgiveness, that if we haven't forgotten, then we haven't forgiven? The misconception, that's not true. I remember everything, but I've forgiven. We have different people in our lives that we must forgive, 
And yes, you'll remember, but the Holy Spirit's the one who's going to take the pain, whatever that is. You can't even do it. He does. And heal. And it's a slow process. One day, you'll wake up and go, wow, what a change from two years ago. It'll happen in an awakening. It'll take time. It's a pathway. It's not fast. And for some, it's years and years and years. So don't hurry it, especially in this culture where we want everything quick. We want our files that we just bought downloaded instantly, and how come the internet's not faster? We want our vending machine, we want it quick. We just put our quarters in, boom, done. Everything's quick, 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 quick. That's not the spiritual life. It can occasionally happen that way, but this is about resting, not trying to control the circumstances around you. Lewis Smead says, when you forgive someone, you are dancing to the rhythm of the divine heartbeat. God invented forgiveness as the only way to keep his romance with the human race alive. We're going to end here and we'll finish up this next Sunday. The gift of forgiveness. What is it? It's a choice. The empowerment to choose comes from divine love that lives in you. And here's some permission. You're allowed to wrestle with it. You're allowed to stomp your feet and get mad at God and say, I don't want to do this. It's okay. He's got you. He knows you well enough. He knows how you need to process things. Just relax. And you don't have to rush into forgiveness because you heard a sermon on it. You forgive because the Holy Spirit inside you prompts you to. That's the key. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray you expand our understanding of what forgiveness is. For those who may be struggling to forgive someone, I pray first you remind them of who they are. That they are clean, righteous, pure, holy, forgiven, one with you. And secondly, you be the empowerment. You be the one to instigate the process of forgiveness and the event. Wake us up to the life that is around us. Help us not to see the darkness in others, but instead look for light and then speak to the light, to the hope we see in everyone around us, even those that we are mad at. Be our process. Be our result. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.